This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. So I have been part of the community in coaching in Toronto for about 20 years since I, I moved here from Boston in 2001. And right from my earliest days, and I was just a baby coach, you know, I was just doing my training. I'd kind of dabbled in coaching a little bit, but I didn't know what I was doing. And even way back then in those distant times, Karen Wright's name was spoken with a quiet awe because Karen really was one of the <laughs> first forces of mature, experienced, excellent coaching to show up in Toronto. She helped grow the Toronto coaching chapter. She's been an MCC, a master certified coach forever. Um, and she continues to be truly one of the best executive coaches I know. I mean, it's no accident that people from my company, Box of Crayons, go to her and people in her company for coaching support. And I guess there's no higher endorsement than <laughs> handing over money and saying, let me use, can I hire you please? As, a, as putting kind of meaning behind my, my true belief that Karen is truly an outstanding and experienced coach. And above that, she's a wonderful person and a really good friend of mine. She is author of books. She runs a team of coaches. She coaches at the most senior levels in big companies and smaller companies like Box of Crayons. She has seen a lot about leadership and how to be effective in an organization. And she's seen a lot about what it takes to be a resilient leader in times like this. So I am super excited to have her and talk to her. Quite frankly, normally we're sitting somewhere with a cocktail, but this will have to do. Karen, <laughs> how are you? I am well. And who says I don't have a cocktail? <laughs> That's, oh, I knew I was <laughs> underprepared for this. Oh, I feel like I should hit a pause on, this, on the button here and just rush off and pour myself a quick martini and then come back. But I won't. I'll stay disciplined. It's very restrained and professional of you. I suffered no such illusions about my own professionalism. <laughs> That's great. That was a lovely introduction. And I, I, I am extremely grateful that you trust your, your Box of Crayons team to us. We are really, really delighted to work with them. Um, and, uh, and as for all the rest of the things you said, it reminds me of the time someone referred to me as the grandmother of coaching in Canada, and I'm sure they meant it nicely. <laughs> I know. You know, you know I, I talked to Marshall Goldsmith, and he's at the stage where he's going, you know, everybody's giving me lifetime achievement awards, and quite frankly, right? all it means is like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on my way out and possibly going to die. So, you know, I'm not quite sure how I should be receiving it, but I'm like, it, yes, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a similar boat to Marshall, and I would say that uh, every time someone mentions something like that, I'm brought to mind of the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Damn it, I'm not dead yet. Exactly. In fact, I would say you are in your prime, Karen, right? Oh, you're very sweet. Let's start off by talking what it means to be a purpose-driven leader, because it's something I really want to believe, you know, because I kind of go, maybe I'm slightly purpose-driven at times, and I kind of hope that there's a way that if you're values-based and you're purpose-driven, there's a way that you're just a better leader that has better results and everything's better all around. And I have a kind of, I have an optimism slash naivety slash niceness bias. So 
tell me straight. I mean, is it is it how necessary is it? How important is it to be a purpose driven leader? Do you think? I think it's been proven that it's not critical. It is possible to lead without anything that's being perceived as as higher purpose. But I think what's also been proven is that the leader who thinks outside themselves is more successful than the leader who is um, personally focused or driven by their own ambition. So years ago, I used to use an assessment that one of the things it measured was ambition on a scale of one to 10. And what came out of the, that particular assessment group's um, research findings was that the most successful leaders generally scored around a seven or an eight on ambition, which is counter to what you might think. You think, oh, well, I want the leaders who score 10. And what they discovered was that 10 out of 10 on ambition meant ambition for self, whereas seven or eight on ambition really was manifested or, or showed up as I know that I must make my organization successful, so I'm ambitious for organization, and I trust that my own success will follow. So it's not that they're not ambitious, it's just they understand how to get there differently. That's so cool. I, I've not heard that research before, but I, I love it. It it somehow speaks to, uh, I'm making this up, but you can, like, you can either be 10 out of 10 on ambition, or you can be 7 plus 7 plus 6 on a range of different elements that lift the whole team or organization give you a higher number but aren't perhaps just you know overly focused on that single personal selfish driver exactly and interesting that you should mention that because inside this same assessment is another dimension and i think in this one it might be called service it might be called contribution i can't remember which but here again uh, 10 out of 10 on service or contribution means that you might be serving at the expense of yourself mm-hmm Whereas if I'm a little bit more thoughtful in my service and contribution, I'm doing that from a place of strength. I'm doing oh, that nice. from a place of, of health. Oh, that's kind of that falls right in time with the Adam Grant worker and give and take, of course. Yes, it absolutely does. It was prior to his body of work and completely supports it, no question. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. Well, so um, do a purpose-driven leaders made or are they just some people are wired to that more kind of collective piece and some people are a little more just self-driven? I think there's a middle ground. So I do know people who have lived their whole lives with a sense of uh, responsibility to others and abundance, therefore I should share and um, service to those who are struggling or, or feeling challenges. So, you know, there are those people who who live their whole lives that way. But I've also seen cases of people getting to a point in their life where they have an epiphany of sorts or that something shifts or something emerges Mm -hmm. where they say, Oh, wait a minute, maybe there's something bigger than me. And oftentimes it's because they've gotten to a place of I've achieved all the things, you know, I ticked all the boxes that I, you know, that, that list we set up in our twenties of all those things (laughs) think are important to achieve in order to have a fulfilled life. Um, I got all those things. And what do you know? I don't really feel all that good. And yeah. then they start looking, and if they look within before looking outward, they might find that that helping others or or somehow making a contribution to an improved world, which looks different for everybody, I think, um, that actually feels better. But I think you have to get to a point where you've tested most of the other hypotheses, and you also have to be at a point where you're not struggling yourself. Got it. That's interesting. We're going to come back to that, I think. 
Okay. One of the other things I just want to check in with you before we we shift into how do you do this during hard times? As I was setting this up, I kind of collapsed a kind of a values-based leader into a purpose-driven leader. And I'm wondering if you see them as the same or kind of necessarily connected in some way or whether they're kind of just two different aspects of how you can define leadership. I don't know that I've ever addressed this directly because, so I, yeah, I know that I've never been asked this exactly this way. So I'll be a little bit off the cuff <laughs> as I respond, um, which and is okay. By the I'm way, for people listening, that's okay. interviewing Toe going, what the hell, Michael? Why did you ask me that? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can do this. I can do this. You can do um, it. What yeah. occurred to me as you <laughs> what occurred to me as you were as you were speaking that was a purpose driven leader is more end state focused, mm. whereas a values driven leader values are an operating system. Nice. And if you're operating with a a clear operating system, then I think you're always operating with purpose. And it might, you might not articulate it that way. And not everyone's purpose, by the way, has to be, you know, solving for world hunger. It's just like right. not everybody who was reincarnated was reincarnated from Cleopatra, right? <laughs> you know? so, Contrary to so, all evidence, quite <laughs> frankly. Exactly. And so, so I think where purpose gets problematic is when people feel um, somehow inadequate for not having a lofty world scale mm-hmm. transformational kind of purpose. I mean, I've, I've asked the purpose question many, many, many times, as you can imagine. Um, and I can remember asking one individual and their response was that their entire reason for being was to take care of their family. And if they positively impacted anyone else, that was a bonus. Right. But what they were mostly concerned about was taking care of their own family. And if you dug into that per- per- person's history, you'd learn that they had grown up through a period of real instability and real struggle, and they never mm-hmm. wanted their family to experience that. So that's their purpose. And nice. that's great. Yeah. And sometimes the model that I use would be, um, what's the size of the sandbox right. you want to, you want. So for anyone who runs a company uh, called Box of Crayons, you might appreciate the playfulness <laughs> of the metaphor. But yeah, exactly. you know, if you think about how big is the sandbox you want to play in. And so for some people, it's their own family and their own backyard. And other people, it's the world. And everything in between is perfectly legitimate. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question to sit with scale. Like it's a, it's a question mm-hmm. that I've wrestled with for for years, you know, ever since I started my own business, really. <laughs> I'm aware. And, you know, the, the language I use, which some people have heard before, but many won't, I have often framed and articulated my value, my purpose. And this is a, a terrible metaphor for these times, but it's to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. So I'm oh, like, my okay. I know exactly. <laughs> but it's like I, came, I, I need to, I need to refine that. But maybe. But, but there's a there's a the reason this was so um, powerful as a mechanism anyway for me when I came up with this 20 years ago or thereabouts was the idea that. I'm interested in putting out concepts and ideas and tools that are passed along and I don't have to be in the center in the, in the limelight to, you know, get the accolades for it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm perfectly happy if I never hear about it and they never hear about me, if my work makes a difference in some way. Yeah. And then there's a billion people. And so it's like, what's that? One seventh of the world's population. 
Right. And it's interesting because there are moments where that is inspiring. And then there are moments where that's like, it's too much. And I don't even understand that number. So how do I actually even deal with that? So just an, a reflection on trying to find the Goldilocks zone of your goal, <laughs> which is like, yeah. it's not, not too distant and not too close, but aspirational in just the right way. And in another forum, I'd be happy to debate the difference between purpose and vision and mission. Yeah, yes. Um, right, because the measurability of that for me takes it out of out of purpose. Uh-huh. Uh, but but to to have people thinking in terms of possibilities is a beautiful purpose, right? Because how many people right. do you and I know, even just in our respective circles, who don't think that way? Right. And what changes when you do? Yeah. Um, I had I, I decided years ago to distill what I do for a living into a soundbite that was uh, understandable by customs agents, because <laughs> if I say if, if I say executive coach to a border crossing individual, they go what? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would you know, reflect back on my days in the beer business when I would say I work for Molson Breweries, and they would go, oh, I love that new commercial, right? So they always understood that, <laughs> right? But so so these days I say things along the lines of I I help create better bosses, I build better bosses, mm-hmm. which almost always provokes a laugh. But but really, I like to think that at the end of the day, that's what I'm doing because even the good ones can be better and want to be better, um, and everybody I'm dealing with is a boss. Yeah. And do you, is, is that for you a purpose statement? I create, I help create better bosses. Yeah. Not in a, I'm going to copyright this and put it out in the world certain places, but yeah. I think the other way I've looked at what I do for a living is that I am helping more people be happier at work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so for me, that's a purpose that I could stand behind. And particularly when my kids were young and I was working a lot, I felt like yeah. if I was doing something I could be proud of that I know yeah. makes the world a better place that made me feel good. And yeah, so, for sure back to that purpose question, anything you're doing that looks outside yourself, I think can probably, and, and that improves a condition somewhere, I think can be characterized as purpose. And I think that's really compelling and valuable. And in difficult times that gets squeezed or squeaked, mm-hmm. you know, there's pressure on it. And you're like, I would love to have, be purpose driven, but quite frankly, I'm fighting for survival. And um, I'm going to start potentially making decisions and making choices that are less driven by my values and less driven by purpose um, and more driven by this just as a thing that I need to do right now. That's what it feels like. You've you've seen leaders go through this challenge. How Mm -hmm. do you start helping them navigate this? I think we need to tease apart the individual and the and the organization. If you if we okay. presume that most of the people we refer to as leaders are people leading people, mm-hmm. certainly the ones that I work with are leading people, uh, and that's you know of course not necessarily true all the time and all of that. But for the purposes of this conversation, I think it's useful to 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 describe leader as an individual who has some sort of responsibility for a group of others. Um, and it's a little bit like the tired oxygen mask thing, right? So if I'm struggling personally, it's really hard for me to serve you or help you or empathize with you. And so um, now that said, you know, because I was going to go down the, well, a leader needs to first of all, take care of themselves to a point, because what I don't believe is appropriate in difficult times is for the leader to fully meet all their own needs before they go supporting the people that they are intended to support. 
So I think there's some sort of minimum viable level of mm-hmm. let me check in with my own anxiety. Let me make sure my own family is okay. Right. Uh, and and now I need to go check in with the people that I'm responsible for who may not have the same resources and tools that I have. How do you guide leaders to check in with their people? Because there's, uh, there's all sorts of ways that you could show up if you've got a, a group of people you're responsible for, whether you're a specific team lead or just they're in your sphere. Um, how, do you, how do you help them to show up in, with the right balance of focus and energy? Yeah, so there are some general rules and then some specific rules, or at mm-hmm. least guidelines that I'm offering. So on the general level, I believe that if you have a team that is now suddenly working remotely, you should be checking in with every single one of them once a day. Right. Uh, Because we don't know what they're struggling with. We don't know how they're feeling about isolation. We don't know, you know, some of them are not only dealing with isolation, they're dealing with a dramatically different way of working in terms of sort of the flow of things they do in a day. Um, And so, so I think that checking in with your people at least once every single day is really important and live voice to live voice if at all possible. Right. Um, and I know that some people working from home suddenly are embarrassed by having small children in the background and all of that. And I would say, you know what, just let that go because everyone's got crying kids and barking dogs and all of that. I saw a, great, um, a, a thing recently that just said, okay, can we just lower our standards on parenting <laughs> oh, <laughs> for the next little right. while? And I'm not, I'm not a parent, so I can hardly comment one way or the other, but it seemed to make sense to me because, I saw this video the other day of this woman going, I'm on day two of homeschooling and she's French, I think. And I'm like, and this is ridiculous. (laughs) And (laughs) And if the the coronavirus doesn't take me out, the homeschooling will. (laughs) Right. And all the teachers should be paid a million dollars. Now we understand that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, So, yeah. So lowering the standard all the way around, you know, you're not going to have the perfect office set up and all of that. But anyways, but uh, from a leader's perspective, reach out and check in with your people at least once a day, live voice to live voice, if at all possible. Um, Secondly, when you check in with them, start with how are they doing personally? Yep. How are they feeling? What do they need? Uh, What's what, you know, what are they feeling good about? Um, What are they uncomfortable about, you know, whatever it is, like just find a couple of questions that check in with the human being right? more than anything else. You know, with, um, I know this is happening at Box of Crayon. Shannon, the CEO there, told me about it. And I've implemented it with my very small team at MBS.Works, which is Ainsley. And we, <laughs> we check in in the morning. We have a, um, a 10 minute, 10 to 20 minute check in going, what are you up to? And what's, what's, you know, what's, what are you worried about or focused on? And it's that kind of combination of human check in and just, you know, let's just help bring focus to the day for both of us. And then we have a five-minute check-in at the end of the day at 4.40 where we're like, one thing you're celebrating about the day. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not a checklist. It's not an accountability thing. It's just here's a good thing that happened sometime in the last eight hours. Nice. That's great. Yeah, I love that. And the, the celebratory nature of closing out the day is lovely. Right, because we, you know, we don't generally do all that well celebrating in isolation, and right. and in times like this, it's hard to remember to celebrate. Exactly. So that's that's fantastic. How else? Um, uh, you, 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 things have got difficult. I mean, we're dealing right now with the coronavirus, but this is a podcast. I hope that has an evergreen quality to it, so this too will pass. But there will be other mm-hmm. difficult times. 
you've got a way of checking in just on a human level on a day-to-day basis. What else would you guide me as a leader to do to find the right balance of reassurance and focus for the people who you're trying to lead and influence? Well, getting back to the question of purpose, I think once you've established that the humans are safe and well, mm-hmm. then I think you you track back to why are we here? Who are we as a company? And are the decisions that we are making today consistent with who we are as a company and who we want to be in the world? And whenever this difficult time, whatever it is, is behind us, how will we feel about these decisions that we're making today? Right. And so I'll give you an example. I do some work with a large retailer who prides itself on being an extraordinarily good place to work. And as you can imagine, retail is devastated. Terrible. Yeah. And as they're contemplating how to manage through financially, the first line of thinking was all of these people are going to have to be laid off. Right. And then they track back to who are we as a company and what's important? What's another way? And so they then started exploring things like, can we ask for volunteers to Mm -hmm. take vacation or take early retirement or go to reduced work week or, you know, so, so they started getting creative along, but as long as they were being consistent with, if our people are truly the most important thing, then, then how do we think about this problem? The other thing I'm, I'm curious about is how do how do I get better at understanding what my values are? I and mean, we kind of said, you know, there's this kind of connection between purpose-driven and, and values-based. Mm-hmm. And what I find for myself is there are times where I've proclaimed values that I have and then gone, well, that's not really my values after all. I just, <laughs> just like the words, but I think that it's not actually a key part of how I show up in the world. They um, look great on a wallet card though. And then, exactly. I am like, look, I have integrity. I'm like, okay, that's, I mean, I do have integrity. I just don't need to claim it as a, as a core value. Right. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you have processes or exercises with people to help them get a little clearer and a little, a little sharper, more focused around what their, what their core values actually are? Yeah. So oftentimes understanding your values can be better done when you think about times when, you, when you've been off. And yeah. off can be pissed off. It can be... Um, it can be frustrated, it yeah. can be disappointed. So oftentimes the contravening of a value is the thing that emerges with the most emotion attached to it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And so when I'm talking with people who are contemplating a job change, when we when we dig through the the reason they're trying to get out of their situation, many times it's because they're seeing something in the leadership that they that they are offended by or upset about. And and that helps them articulate a value that is being contravened. That's so good. I mean, I was just thinking, I mean, back, so to, I was thinking back to last night and like I had a grumpy moment last night and I'm like, God, why am I so just annoyed and annoying as my celebration? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and, really? Um, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's one of the ways I contravene a value of mine which I wouldn't have told you was a value of mine, but one of the one is like, I want to keep the promises that I make. Um, mm-hmm. And um, there's, there was a thing which I just hadn't followed up on and hadn't followed up on. And I'd moved into classic bottlenecking slash prevarication slash procrastination plus 
irrational, now irrational delay. And I'm like, oh. it's, a, it's, a, it's an all too familiar pattern, but, um, but it, it's also a transgression of uh, value, which is like, yeah. you, it's not even keeping promises. It's about you, you treat other, other people as human beings. You give them the respect. Mm. And um, in doing that, I was not doing that to this other person. And oh, that's interesting because that is actually a really core cool value of mine. They're kind of yeah. trying to build um, I-thou relationships rather than I-it relationships to use Love the it. kind of Martin Buber phrase. Right, so yeah. that's really, that's, oh, I, need to, I need to go, <laughs> I need to write this down. <laughs> oh. I need to well, listen to this for... podcast episode. <laughs> well, I know for myself that with my company, I've long talked about occupying this space between the big consulting companies and the independents, the big consulting companies being rigid and inflexible and taking a long time to do anything mm -hmm. and the independents being a little bit erratic or maybe not always yeah. consistent in how they approach yeah, a problem. A bit amateurish and a bit unstable. Yeah. Right. And so, so I have long talked about a set of values that include things like professionalism and nimbleness and responsiveness and follow through and, uh, and those sorts of things. And so I had a moment just prior to this call where I got on the phone with the client and he asked me about something that I had promised him he would have for our session today. And I hadn't gotten it done. And the giant, shame monster he was a ugly head like oh i can't believe that you're yeah. totally right i completely forgot to do that didn't get it done didn't follow through didn't honor my promise and yeah i mean it's very aligned with your yours yeah. about you know keeping your word um and this for me has company reputation attached to it in addition to personal mm, reputation so right. it's like, oh no that's terrible oh, no. I know. So that's for me where the the easiest place to find values because everybody can say, oh, I value honesty and I value yeah. family. And I mean, my my favorite exploration of values is with people who claim family as a as a number one driver of everything they do. And then they work all the time and travel all the time and, right. you know, take opportunities that would appear to be at odds with family. And it's particularly and I'm going to gender generalized for a moment, but I oftentimes find women struggle with loving their work mm -hmm. when it appears to be at odds with the conventional, you know, I should be family first, you know, super mom kind of thing. Right. So, um, so yeah, so we oftentimes espouse a set of values that we think we ought to. Yeah. And then when the going gets tough, we see what's really important. Yeah, I think that the, one of the takeaways I'm taking away from that, just the usefulness of going when you've transgressed and you notice that, that's a clue to a value. But also just, you know, in terms of talking about breaking the promise and not following up in the way I said, how that actually is a doorway, but it could open up into a different articulation of a value for different people. One is to never lie. One is to keep your word. One is integrity. One is a nature of a relationship. One is a, you know, there's different ways that you can articulate the value depending on who you are. Well, yes. And one of the best things to do if you're trying to get clear and really connected to your own values is to describe the behaviors that would let you know that that value is being honored. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I value follow through that means i do what i say i'm going to do i you yeah. know whatever it is right so the behaviors are where you can observe values in action or not 
the 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 connection i'd make to this as well is i think that the most interesting test for values is when you when you discover the complex relationships between two different values um because I, I think a set of values should tug you one way and the other to help you find the appropriate line to walk. And I'll give you an example from Box of Crayons. Box of Crayons um, has two values. One is, well, it's five values, but two of them. One is adult to adult relationships, which is mm -hmm. about being clear on boundaries and asking for what you want and being able to say no. And the other is be generous which mm -hmm. is not just giving stuff away, but it's a generosity of spirit. It is a okay. generosity of how people show up in the world. And what's interesting is when Boxer Crowns is debating an action, we find we, we, we are often being pulled between generosity and adult to adult relationships. And they, it's the tension between them that helps mm -hmm. navigate to the, to the hard decision. You know, if it's an easy decision and it's like, it's just easy, we'll just be generous here, then that's, that doesn't really test the value. It's in those mm -hmm. moments of how do I, this is hard, this is subtle, this is complex, this is messy. That's mm -hmm. where I think values can really come and play most strongly and be most useful. Well, and connecting back to the, the leadership persona and topic, the idea of VUCA, right? Volatility, mm -hmm. uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. It's in these VUCA times that real leaders uh, really emerge because they're able to navigate that tension, that uncertainty, that complexity, right? For me, a leader is someone who can take something incredibly complex and and pull out of it the, the important issue or the core value mm -hmm. or the desired behavior. That feels like... When we do season two of this podcast, we might need to come back and have a conversation <laughs> about how do you find certainty and direction in, in a VUCA world. That feels like a really juicy topic, but we can't do it now because we've run out of time. Oh, dear. Karen, well, any, any yeah. final words of wisdom or kind of points of view you just want to share around values, around purpose, around kind of being this kind of principle-based leader? Well, I, I'd love to offer one thing for some of your listeners to go maybe looking for as a great example. Uh, late last week, I think it was, the CEO of Marriott Hotels, Arnie Sorensen. Oh, so good. Yeah, I know exactly what you're going to say, yeah. Right, and that he is renowned for being a values-based leader who walks his talk. And this is a guy who is in treatment for cancer, and his corporate communications people told him he might not want to make this video because of how he looks. And he came out and he said, this is an important time for us to come together as a company. And, you know, I'm fine. Thanks very much. But my bigger job here is to tell you what we're doing as a company in this really, mm -hmm. really difficult time and the actions they're taking. So he who he is, yes, uh, absolutely walking the talk and the actions they're taking as a company are 100% consistent yeah. with who he is as a leader and who they are as a company. It's exactly. brilliant. So. I found so, it on LinkedIn. I just, I suggest looking for it. Yeah. So kind of came out probably mid-March 2020, uh, depending on when people are listening to this episode. Right. Yeah. And it's a very compelling piece of leadership. It truly is. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Karen, for people who 
want to know more about you, want to find you in the world, is there a place you can direct them to? I can direct them to my website for my company, which is called Parachute Executive Coaching. It's the longest URL in the world, but it's a good spell. <laughs> it is a long URL. It's a lot of letters to type there. It is. But once you get there, then you, you found it forever. So parachuteexecutivecoaching.com is the best place. And I'm also easily findable on LinkedIn similarly. Perfect. Karen, you are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this, Michael. I think it's wonderful uh, support for, for people who are struggling with some of these tough questions these days. So thank you for inviting me. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift, I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up, to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is, and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.